Yo. Here I is. Here I be. Here I is. so loud. Man. I know you missed me. Here I is. We missed Pastor Jeff. <laughs> Pastor Jeff has risen from the grave. Of, he's, he's come from his bed of affliction. A glory. Is that what we call it? He's come. A glory. He, he, he is lifted off of his bed of affliction. <laughs> the prayers of Lazarus the righteous. come forth. Prayers of the righteous avail as much. I went and laid hands on him, dumped some, uh, Dump some uh, <laughs> olive oil, and from- that's why you got COVID now. <laughs> <laughs> I did not have COVID. Let's let's make that clear. Let's make that clear, Pastor Jeff. Isn't so? So is that going to be the new thing now that every time somebody gets sick, they're going to have to clarify <laughs> and qualify <laughs> that it's not COVID? Hey, is that going to be the thing? I tell you what, I was what was that? I was at dinner today, and I coughed, and I, I just wanted to look around like, I wonder if people think I got COVID. <laughs> you're, you're paranoid. Coughing has now become, like, one of the worst things you can do in public. Absolutely. It's it surpassed passing gas. People <laughs> would rather you, that. people would rather you, I bet you, I bet you any money, people would rather you pass gas than cough in their presence at this point. Somebody said, somebody said, if, if, and I'm, excuse my language, somebody said, if a fart if a you go through your underwear, your jeans, what? and make it out. COVID can get through that little mask. <laughs> COVID can get through that little. So this is I don't the depth know. of Pastor Jeff's theology. <laughs> that that, I get, that a, came straight from that Christianity one hundred and one. That came straight from <laughs> seminary school. So so t- so tell us, man. Tell us about your experience. What oh happened? man, we we do need to talk about it, man. Let's um, talk about it. Just real quick. Uh, Thank you all for the prayers uh, of the righteous, the fervent prayers of the righteous. Todd came up to the hospital. Man, you are right, man. Man, you are right. I came in there, man. I was crying. Uh, Let me see him. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see him. (laughs) We demand to see Brother Johnson. (laughs) We demand to see Brother Johnson. But on on a real note, um, I had had uh, I had been having headaches all day, took a lot of medicine, uh, wasn't going away. I kept on laying down and I. Uh, my mother-in-law was happened to be over my house and she's like, you need to go get your blood pressure check. And, you know, us as black people, us as black men's black men. Yeah. Black men's it was like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to be straight. I mean, she was very demanding. And if you know my mother-in-law, uh, she can be demanding to the point where, you know, she almost get on your nerves. Oh, we know. <laughs> but uh, she she made sure that I went to the hospital or, or went and got my blood pressure checked. And when I got it checked, I was 195 over 116, which is. Uh, and that's not good. It's off the charts. And um, so uh, once I'd done that, I still was like, well, I'll be good. I'm just going to lay it down for tomorrow. And uh, she was demanding once again that I went to the hospital. And so once I got to the hospital, it's like, oh, we got to get this down. We can't let it go. We can't let you leave till we get it down. So I guess my question is, why are we as black men, uh, especially in the in particular African-Americans, just we just don't want to go to the hospital? You know, uh, I can speak for myself. I want to hear from some of our uh, viewers who are tapping in. But. Uh, yeah, I mean, first of all, we just have this sense of privacy and pride. Yeah, we definitely have privacy and pride. And you are going to uh, invade our privacy and you're probably going to uh, violate our pride, puncture our pride a little bit. You know, the privacy part, obviously, men don't like to be touched on. And it's funny because as much as men, all men be, you know, I don't care if it's, you know, 
fantasizing about women, this, that, the other, or whatever, and, you know, talk, joking about their bodies. When it comes down to actually being touched, <laughs> you know, male or female, they're not down with it. Yeah. They're not down with it, no matter what. And then the pride part is, I think we just want to avoid the bad news. We don't want that's it to, to me. hear that's it to me. that something's wrong. Because, I, you know, I have great insurance. Yeah. You know, it wasn't about the money or hospital. You just don't want to hear bad news. Right. And I, I think we need to get over that because I think it's better to hear the bad news and repair it than to not hear it and to end up somewhere in the casket. So, oh, oh yeah. But, but, I mean, for some reason, that just makes more sense. I don't know if it makes more sense <laughs> to people, but we've been willing to accept it as a reality. Yeah. Now, I saw since you said that. I don't know if it was Twitter or Facebook, but I saw a really pertinent post that kind of poked at me because I'll be 40 this year. And that was if black men have a shorter lifespan than white men, then why do they recommend checkups at the same ages? which is normally about around 50. 50 yep. So you need to be knocking that down. If black men are prone to certain diseases, black people That's are prone to certain good. things. Why not knock that down to like 40, 35, even instead absolutely. of 50, because obviously a lot of the issues are, like you said, we are, most of us have not been going to the doctor up until age 50 and sometimes beyond until we decide to finally get checked. And there might've been things going on that our younger, healthier, healthier bodies might be able to handle in treatments and all that we wouldn't be able to handle once it's advanced, have been in us for a long time. Plus we're 55, 60, 65 years old. Absolutely. And to be 65 and 70 in a black man is to be near death, to be honest. Hey, you know, uh, Pastor Harrison would always say, uh, President Harrison would always say, I got more uh, behind me than I got in front of me. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, And you know, I, I did make a follow-up appointment. I go to the doctor tomorrow, see my doctor, Frida Capers. And, I, you know, but we, we, I think we just have to do better. Um, and I think we have to demand, even if they don't, you know, because. We have I to think, demand that the yeah, screen is. I think, I think last year she told me, I, you know, you ain't got to worry about. The, Get that finger out. <laughs> <laughs> I demand this. <laughs> she told me, you know, don't worry about prostate until. Uh, to your 50. And I think you, you have to say, nah, I, I'd rather I go ahead and get it. I mean, I, and I'm saying, and of course, I'm not looking for it. I have a, I have, I've had a check done, but I definitely think for black men, that should be 40. I just do. I just think for black men, prostate checks and some other pertinent checks, even blood pressure checks to be black is to live in a stressful environment, period. We, we live under, we don't like to admit it. And I'm not trying to be all, cause I do feel like sometimes there's this little bit of mental, like overkill, like where people are imposing stress on you like everything is a traumatic experience but bro we've been black you know me going on 40 years you 40 some years it's 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 and let's let's just be honest let's just be honest being black and a pastor because you don't want your congregation to think kill me now (laughs) Can, can can i be honest and, and and I always have to qualify my statements so nobody thinks that Pastor Todd is 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 searching the pool or anything. But to be a black man, a black pastor, and have any sort of potential health issue, especially if you're a little younger, is a liability to it your is. career. It is. And I don't, you don't like to use the word career, calling, whatever you want to call it. I'm just being blunt. Is that if you think there might be any opportunity beyond or people might think even your members, let's not even talk about another church. Let's not not talk about I want to be called to a bigger church or like that. Your members will think less of you Mm -hmm. 
if they think you're weaker. They might have sympathy to a degree for you and maybe feel like you're the soldier trudging through every Sunday. But truth right. be told, they wait on you to preach your last sermon and kill over <laughs> so, so they can say you died a hero. <laughs> yeah. He died on the battlefield. Yeah, you are absolutely no, right. You, so you fed me all that fried chicken after every service. <laughs> You fed, you fed me all that fried chicken after every service, after I preached my blood pressure high, then you gave me a big pound of salt to eat. But yeah, I mean, weakness is a liability for black men in a lot of occupations, yeah. especially social you know, occupations. So what I would say, and I'm saying to myself, I need to do better with my health. We need to do better. We need Absolutely. to get checked more, even if I'm not gonna really stop drinking pop or this that or the other i could at least get checked and know what it's doing to me i'm trying to drink this water but the juice is gonna come out so i mean at least it's not a pepsi <laughs> i got this water time. I, you know y'all know i'll never have water it's on not this, a pepsi this time if any of our men are walked walk, okay glenn says put that up before we jump off of this uh our good friend minister robinson says doctors have said now that black men should get checked at 45 I, i'm i'm with you I'm, I'm gonna go just go ahead and do it and again i mean we knew People like Dr. King was under great amounts of stress. I'm the same age he was when he passed, when he was murdered. And but they said he had the heart of like a 70 year old man. Wow. Now, we know that there was additional stress from the movement and all that. But that's there are certain occupations that weigh on you more. President, I'm sure y'all y'all saw poor Barack, our man B. He 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 he, he, he aged he, 20 years. He came in jump roping and stuff. And he <laughs> like crawled basketballs. out. He, he crawled out the White House. <laughs> they they took him out on a stretcher. <laughs> he was on Air Force One in a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah, so take care of yourself. We're grateful, Pastor Jeff is okay, and he already knows what it is. He knows if there's anything wrong, I'm coming running. That's Absolutely. just how we roll, That's how man. We roll. That's how I we started roll. prayer meeting up in that ER. I said, get out the way. <laughs> get out the way. I got the oil. Mark, you know you're older than 40. Stop. <laughs> Mark, you, Mark, you at least 48. Now. <laughs> oh, Mr. Reigns. Oh, Reigns. <laughs> oh, Reigns. Look like an old deacon <laughs> singing past me not. <laughs> You look like it in your picture. <laughs> You're like you one of them old deacons that that dyed your beard. I'm approaching forty. Yeah, I'm approaching been forty thirty years ago. <laughs> you like the Morgan Freeman of church guys. <laughs> You've been old all your life. Oh my god! And by the way, speaking of which, he is the young, the Todd Johnson of Youngstown. Is, by the he way, is, he, he is. is. They be like Pastor Todd. <laughs> nah, that's not him. All right, y'all. Y'all know what time it is. It's time for the meme of the week. We're not going. We're right there. Meme of the week. Meme of the week. Welcome to religiously incorrect, ladies and gentlemen. Meme of the week. Meme of the week. Thank you. Send us your memes of the week. Meme of the week. Meme of the week. We are. We are. These are all jokes. We are just. Okay, so I like that intro, but I would much rather see a video of Jeff dancing. Oh, because he knows all the moves. I'm gonna do the prep the whole time. Gonna the <laughs> I'm gonna do the prep and the running, man. The whole Franklin, time. <laughs> what's the meme of the week, Big Mike? What we got? After church Sunday naps. <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, they do. For all involved. If you are not slain in the spirit during the service, you will be after. Yes, sir. Yes, you, sir. You will be after. And yes, this is sir. this is a good this this is we had good church. 
we had great church. This is matter of fact, if you're not laid out like that, you need to find a new church. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you Catholics don't lay out like that at the church. Oh, they they be at the uh casino. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, my Catholic friends. I'm sorry. Whatever the Baptists be there too. <laughs> Mountaineer like a big Why dog. Are you talking? <laughs> Favorite parking space. Yeah, so here's the way COVID has messed us up because we were already trying to do better on time. But that nap used to be like a two o'clock joint. Right. You get out of church, old school black church, one thirty, two o'clock. You sleep, you know, you, you the food is ready. You going. Grandma didn't put the, pull the stuff out the oven that she put in the night before. You kill it. You go to sleep. Now we get out of church at like 11, 15, 11, 30 for these earlier services. Absolutely. So now I'm like, it's like brunch. Like what in the. You know, I'm not even hungry. The kids be crying and you stuff. just ate breakfast. Yeah, so I just go back to sleep. One hour ago. And I, it's too early. to Like, I can't be hyped up and, and then, you know, that early in the day and then come down and be ready to eat. So, you know, I'm still a big fan of after church naps. We definitely. I love them. Bro, that suit come off so quick. Man, I'd be, it'd, it'd be on the ground. I don't, it'd be even, like I don't Superman. even hang it up. It's just, just like Superman. Drop yes, it. yes. Just, ain't drop it right where if, it's if, at. If you think them preachers be looking clean in their suits, just check out their <laughs> bedrooms three minutes after service is over. Them jokers. That that thousand dollar suit, mine is two for three hundred or whatever. <laughs> but uh, they, then, they're laid out. Then can I be honest? You like when your wife asks, "Can you zip me? Can you unzip me?" Bruh. Hey, glory. Hey, Hassan. Listen. Okay, that's a whole show. <laughs> I'm like, can I can I send the kids to grandma's house first? <laughs> Cause they, don't they love that? And they do it. It's a tease, man. Mm-hmm. It's a tease. Can you unzip, can you what unzip am I supposed me? to do when I unzip Bruh. What am I supposed to do when I unzip you? Uh, and then they you walk that, away. Got that girdle on and those uh, <laughs> waist strength. See, see, I hope Tiffany's watching this. That's cold blooded, man. I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, hey, I don't even know what that I don't is. Care. I like him all. I, I don't like know what all. that is. Right, right. <laughs> Well, it's been wonderful uh, being back. Good to have you back. We, you haven't lost a step, Pastor Jeff. I'm so going to. That, that, that's a wonderful thing. Everybody who is watching, like, share, comment, tag, tell your friends. It's political season right now. Yes, sir. It's midterms. Yes, and we sir. went through all this hollering and screaming about the Biden-Trump election and everything else. But we have a great guest, and we can't wait to share. She said, we literally cannot reach. That's hilarious. <laughs> You're lying, Tiffany. You're just a tease. We have a great guest. So w- while we introduce our sponsors, I want to make sure that you take the next few minutes to like, to share, to comment. Matter of fact, I want every last one of you to tag somebody, tag somebody. to tap in and watch. Our sponsors for, for Religiously Incorrect come from the Phillips family of businesses, Phillips Care Cleaning Service. They do residential, commercial cleaning, floor cleaning, clean out, move in, maintenance. If you can dream it, they can do it. Call my man, my brother, Fernando, at 330-219-7916. They serve Trumbull, Mahoning, and wherever they're paying money for work. And while you're <laughs> at it, Daylight Savings Time is upon us. Yes. Time to get on them yards. Check out Phillips Care Lawn Services. They've been in business for over a decade. I am a customer, satisfied customer, by the way. They do a great job. So check them out. Leaf removal, mowing, trimming, edging, even like branches, trees, all that stuff. They take care of it. Check out Phillips Care LLC on Facebook or contact them at 330-219-7916. And they'll be happy to service you and tell them religiously incorrect sent you. And you will not, I repeat, you will not get a discount. And if you're in Ohio, it might still need some snow removal. You need some snow removal. (laughs) 
You'll need more. Hey, if you want to be a sponsor of Religiously Incorrect, shoot us an email at religiouslyincorrectpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to sponsor and highlight your business to our millions upon millions of viewers and listeners. CNN and Fox News are trying to catch up with us. They're trying. They they can't, they it's can't never going to happen. It ain't going to happen. Tucker is trying to sign on Jim with us. Rome. Jim Rome. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot he existed. <laughs> Man, that's a blast from the past. I love Jim Rohn. I did love Jim Rohn, man. Yeah, I'm surprised he ain't on Fox News. Crazy way he talks. Well, anyway, it's political season, Pastor Jeff. And uh, I think that we need to pay attention to politics more when there's not a major presidential election. Absolutely. Than when there is. And to that end, uh, we have a guest with us that is running for the U. United States Senate, representing the great state of Ohio. O-H-I-O. The seat that will soon be vacated by Rob Portman, who I met. He actually visited our church once. Uh, never called me back after that, but he came to our <laughs> church once, <laughs> took a picture five years ago. Uh, he's and, been to Wheatland uh, Tube a couple times. He's been to Wheatland Tube a couple mm-hmm. times, and uh, his seat is up for grabs. And uh, it's going to be filled by by somebody. And we have one of the candidates with us today. I want you all to welcome Morgan Ware, candidate for U.S. Senate. Let's give it up for our guest today. Come on, religiously incorrect audience. Hit the likes. Morgan Hit Harper. How are you doing? Mar- Morgan Harper. I said, Alec. Morgan Harper. I had you and your assistant mixed up. Not Morgan it's Ware. Okay. Morgan okay. Harper. I, I didn't even hear you. I said the wrong that. name. It's OK. OK, take her out. I'm going to introduce her again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we have Morgan Harper. We got there. We us. got there. It's good. And and that, that that goes to show how much I've been in communication with her team, which by the way, you have an excellent team. They grind for you, they work for you. Uh you they do a great job and and you're doing a good job of getting your name out there uh running for uh US Senate in the state of Ohio. Uh we have a seat coming open and this is a midterm election. This is the primary of the midterm election. And Morgan, what I'd like you to do is just tell us a little bit about yourself. I understand, uh, you know, you've been a graduate of, uh, I want to pull my, my, my paper. I don't have it on here. You got to pull it up for me. We had notes. Sorry. There we go. Graduated from Tufts, uh, Princeton and Stanford, where you got your Juris Doctorate. And, and you're, you're a lawyer. Mm-hmm. You're, you're a lawyer. You, you work in a legal profession. You've been a, you've been a profession. You've been a clerk with the U.S. District Court. Uh, and you've worked with the Federal Trade Commission. Uh, and you've done a lot of nonprofit work and, and, and advocacy work, and you're running for U.S. Senate. How about we start with this? Why are you running for the U.S. Senate? It's a great question. So, I mean, where I, I always like to start is why I'm in politics in the first place, because a lot of people are like, why would anyone want to be in politics right now, especially <laughs> federal politics? But for me, it's it's because, you know, I I got a fair shot. I was born in Columbus. That's where I am now. That's where I live given up for adoption. I lived in a foster home when I was a baby and then was adopted and raised on the on the east side of Columbus. And my mom, my family, we went through a lot, but I knew we got through it because I had even one parent with a stable job and a strong community around us that put me in a position to get to places like Princeton and Stanford. And that's what I want for all of us to be able to live out our potential all over the state of Ohio and, and guarantee opportunity. And I think that's what most of us in Ohio agree on and I have a policy f- vision for how we get there, but it starts with having leadership that's unbought, unafraid, and is going to Washington to really deliver for us. And you know, and I saw firsthand how 
money has corrupted our politics there in U.S. Congress, and that's why I don't take corporate corporate PAC money. And I think that you know we need to start electing more people who have that vision. And right now we have a lot on the line, and that's why I want to be in the United States Senate representing us. Can you expand on, because I've watched uh, a couple of your debates and you've used that word unbought uh, very, very harshly, uh, not harshly, but uh, you've used it quite a few times. And I, I just want to talk to that uh, about these politicians who are being bought or that you feel are being bought. It's not a feeling. It's a fact. You can see all this information publicly available that we have most people who are in Congress take a lot of money from corporate PACs, political action committees. And this was a, a financial mechanism to contribute to politicians that was created about 40 years ago or so. So it tracks pretty closely when, when our economy started to change quite a bit that enabled corporations to contribute directly to politicians. And in my mm. view, these are bribes. And this makes no sense. So compare that, for example, to when you're a federal regulator. So I worked at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau going after the banks after the foreclosure financial crisis. As a federal regulator, you are allowed, if you ever interact with anybody from business, from industry, to maybe get a gift that's no more than like $20, okay? Because it's very clear that that influences your view if you start to get money from people when your job is to create effective policy. So how we got to the point of having our sitting elected officials that take this much money from corporations, well, it has a lot to do with lobbying that happened and was greenlit, greenlit by the Reagan administration, a lot of conserv a conservative movement to try to capture our government to ensure that it doesn't do anything that has contributed to a lot of poor outcomes for us, health, financial, but then also this disillusionment that people have with politics generally. I'm glad you mentioned that disillusionment because there's... It, it, it's palpable. It feels like you are either extremely passionate about a particular side, even if you don't fully understand uh, everything, or you, you kind of just don't care and you're lethargic about it and, and apathetic about it. And it feels like the apathetic uh, population is actually what is keeping us from checking these things. And, and where do you think that comes from? Do you, I mean, I've heard from people I've seen the memes. It doesn't matter who's in office. It doesn't matter what party is in office. It's the same game. It's almost like they're all on the same team. And our, our communities look the same, particularly in black and urban communities. Uh, but you can go across the span of, of all communities and all demographics. They feel like, hey, they're all a part of the same team. It's almost like wrestling. Like, like right. it's, it's like it's a it's a fake. Uh, sorry, kids. Uh, it's fake. And uh, and adults that still think that. But uh, what do you say to that disillusionment? Uh, how do we turn that around? I mean, one, I say it's totally rational. We should all be pretty disillusioned with the state of what's going on in Washington. And we've had a generation of, of politicians, like I said, that have been bought and sold before we even get to the point of deciding what's going to be the best legislation. We, they say one thing when we're there, do another behind closed doors. So I think it's rational that people feel distrust. And in order to restore that, it's going to take having a different type of representation. So that's what I'm offering, what does that look like? One, like I said, not taking this money so I will be free to actually just do what's right. Two, I'm also saying I'm self-imposing term limits, only serving two terms United States Senate so that it won't, it's very clear it won't be about me. I'm not gonna make a career out of it. And I'm grassroots. There's no powerful party person. You know, I'm running, I'm a Democrat, but there's no powerful Democrat in the state that was like, Morgan, it's your turn, it's your time. It's like, no, I'm looking around our communities all over the state 
recognizing that we can't keep living like this. And I have a vision for how we can, we can do better. And, and that's what it's going to take. I mean, the most common question that I get all over the state of Ohio, urban, rural, suburban, whatever, why can we, why can we trust you? Why are you different? And we need to have an authentic answer to that question to even imagine that as Democrats in our state, we're going to get the kind of turnout we need to be able to win this seat. All right. Now, not only am I a pastor, I am also an organizer for Action, which is the Alliance for Congregational Transformation Influence in Our Neighborhoods. That's a lot. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, but um, one of the things that we are very uh, concerned about is all the legislation that's out there, particularly uh, pertaining to uh, voter registration um, and the rights uh particularly for our black communities, uh, as far as just the fact that they are trying to take away um, uh, early, early voting or early voting, early voting, voting absentee. absentee voting, uh, even the mail-in, you know, where they was able to mail it back at one time where they can't do it now. Uh, there's also issues with um, redistricting that we really need to talk about if possible. And then there's also another piece that I was just made aware of uh, that, Peaceful protests, uh, peaceful protesters and organizations now cannot or, or can be held accountable for, uh, you know, riots that are started and things there. When oftentimes you have people sent in to engage in such acts of, as riots and things of that nature, which now we will be um, accountable for. So I, I would just... I know that's a lot, but if you could just talk to one or two of those things. Yeah. I mean, all of these things are trying to limit our rights and freedom. And they're coming from a party that and, and you know, and I'm like, I'm like what it sounds like both of you are. At. I'm, I'm critical of people all across the board and, and looking at everything with a clear head. But right now in the state of Ohio and increasingly nationally, we have a Republican Party GOP that is says that they're about freedom but is really about trying to restrict our rights and making sure that we don't have full participation when we're talking about the black community in the political process. So that's some of the things that they're doing around the, the changes to voting. That's what it looks like when this redistricting that they're just not following the law that they're supposed to be drawing maps that are not partisan gerrymandered. That is the law. And they're just disregarding that and also restricting people's ability to speak out, advocate, be able to, to publicly protest and all of that. This is all part of an assault on our rights to ensure that we do not have the full democracy that this country is supposed to stand for. And we should all be really concerned about that because if we don't have a representative democracy, then we are not gonna get the policies that majority of people in our state, in our country want. And we, have, we do have a real crisis on our hands, but that's only gonna change when we have really mass, mass mobilization. There's like, nobody's coming to save us here if that's not already, already clear. And we have to start really paying attention and, and pushing back on this. So how do you feel uh, is the best way to create that mass mobilization with this disillusionment? And and you're running as a Democrat and traditionally uh, African-Americans have been associated with the Democratic Party. But we've seen a lot of shifts in that. I have said it before and I'll say it again. If it weren't for the rise of the extreme right and uh more open racism. And I start with Sarah Palin all the time. And of course that trails through Trump that I think a lot of African-Americans would even more so would have abandoned the democratic party actively. I, I just think that, I think that 
number one, there are some issues that African-Americans tend to be conservative about on social issues, some certain social issues that don't jive with where the liberal wing is going. And then I think we even see some of the financial and economic policies. Sometimes, honestly, they do make a little more sense on the other side to some people, or at least they see balance between the perspectives. Mm-hmm. I think if it wasn't for all the hatefulness and the Confederate flags being flown at Trump rallies and Republican rallies that people would have moved over. So how do we recapture that? And, and from your perspective as a Democrat, or, or do you feel it's time to move beyond that or, or, and, and begin to see if there's not another way, even though third parties are next to impossible, do we feel like we're just chained to this as our only guardrail against that side? Or can we really mobilize people to get excited again about a party that they feel has failed them? I think we can, but it's, again, you know, it's not because one individual is going to be the the silver bullet here, right? And so that's where, I don't know if you can see a sweatshirt. So it's like, Morganize is kind of the tagline. Like which, yeah, it's like a little play on my name, but it, it is really a call to action. It's like, we had that savior style politics. It didn't work. And so really what I want our campaign to be is a vehicle for general political participation to mobilize everybody's network to really define what we are now going to say as a democratic party we stand for uh so can i push back real quick and say that for the republicans that savior approach did work they got a savior they got a figure and it feels like even though they're not in a majority they operate like they are i mean he's a you know trump is the de facto you know second president of the united states it feels like Mm -hmm. and even just the behavior of Republicans is like they do get behind that one figure and they ride that. I mean, most of these Senate uh, Senate candidates and congressional candidates, their their number one thing is I'm pro Trump. <laughs> that's like, but why are they? PA, but why are they you see. That, right? But okay, so yeah, there's an there's an individual figure there, but there is yeah. a grassroots organized mobilization behind that. And that's why all of the people that are running on the Republican side of the Senate primary are speaking the gospel of Trump. It's because they want that activated grassroots mobilization, right? That on any given Tuesday is going to show up maybe 500, 1,000 people and hear from the likes of Josh Mandel. That's what they're after. That's why they're saying that they, they have to continue to try to court Trump's support. Mm. And so we have not had a counter to that in quite some time as Democrats in the state of Ohio. Uh, for a lot of people, the last time, and I know, I mean, it sounds like you all both, I know, are very politically engaged. It's like you knock on people's doors sometimes. They're like, wow, I haven't heard from anybody since the Obama era, right? I haven't really, when people, when we're talking about people running yeah. for federal races. And so we need to, we need to activate that. I don't, I don't have a lot of faith based on what I've seen from, you know, the statewide party to really deliver on that front. And I think that we can build it ourselves because we're already doing it. Because you're running, you know, community organizations where you're activating the community on different topics. It's like we got to pull that together and really start to set our own agenda for what we want the Democratic Party to stand for. I would just even add on to or piggyback off of what Pastor Todd said and the fact that we believe that our savior or our first rise of rise of the black Democratic Party would be Obama. And I think when he didn't give us everything we wanted such as Trump literally tried to give the Republican Party everything they wanted. That's when we began to turn our back even on somebody who was 
a hero who, who was a hero yeah. in my opinion. So I think, you know, I think one of the things we have to do is understand that, you know, he's even and when we get into these offices, we are still not able to do everything that, you know, we're able to that we would like being done. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just saying that it just feels like they have that killer instinct to just ram and force through what they desire. And I think you've got black men, macho men who are starting to like Trump because they're like, yeah, that's the dude that'll just do what he wants. Right. Do what he wants. And, and right. we thought that was a negative, you know, and there are people like, yeah. And we thought it was just, you know, some hateful, vengeful, racist person who liked that persona only to find out that it was our buddies at the barbershop who liked it too. Mm-hmm. And like, how do we counter that, you know, desire for that forceful, they don't want, let's go walk and knock on door. They, you know, many of them want somebody to just pull out a gun and start shooting practically. You know what I mean? Just, you, you know, euphemistically, just yeah, yeah, yeah. guns blazing. Guns blazing. Yeah. Yeah, no. And, and I, and I am meeting those people all the time. And, and, you know, and to an extent, I, I share the sentiment of, I want somebody that's going to be in there and really about what we're about. Right. I mean, that's why I put my life on hold and I'm running for the Senate. Cause I just wasn't seeing it. I wasn't seeing it and we don't have a lot of time. And so, yeah, no, I mean, for example, in, in, during this campaign, I met a young, younger guy who was telling me almost like a, a challenge that, you know, the, I voted for the first time this last presidential election. It was my first time voting because I've been in and out of prison for my entire adult life. And I voted for Donald Trump. What do you think of that? And I was like, all right, why? You know, I want to hear where, where are people at? And he was like, because he's a fighter and he doesn't care what anybody thinks. And he just does just does whatever he thinks is right. And I was like, all right, well, that sentiment. Yeah, I, I'm with that in a, it, to an extent. But we need to recognize that they that isn't always translating into the best outcomes for us. And so I also I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I'm going to do what I believe is right, informed by a lot of what I what I think people are saying and and actually try to get it done. You know what I'm saying? And like actually understanding from a policy perspective, what is necessary to make sure that we get to that vision of we're not just surviving out here. We actually have an, have an ability to live out our dreams. That's what I'm looking for. And yeah. I do think it starts with better leadership that we demand that we create the conditions to elect. And we have a lot of work to do on that front, but also not just electing people because they're Democrats, but really having an agenda that we're holding people accountable for. Um. You are running as a Repu- I mean, as a Democrat, excuse me, also as a woman and as a black woman. Um, you know, how do you feel? Do you feel like there's still, even though, you know, we have our vice president now, we have, you know, even the movies, you know, some of the greatest superheroes are now women, um, colored women, as a, as a matter of fact. But do you still, there's still a good old boys uh, type of campaign that may try to hold you back in those areas? Oh, yeah. I mean, within the Democratic Party. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, there's a sentiment that there's the the chosen ones. The chosen ones end up looking pretty similar, you know, over time, I would say. And uh, but what's interesting and what we need people to understand is the the chosen ones aren't winning. OK, I mean, the golden boys mm. aren't winning. So we can continue to run these people and try to brainwash people into thinking that this is the safe choice, but it's not working. Who who is winning when we look at which Democrats have been able to win statewide in Ohio for federal seats or statewide at all? Melody Stewart, 
She's currently on our state Supreme Court, black woman, okay? Performing pretty well, even in rural counties. Cause that's usually what they like to tell you is like, oh, once you get into smaller counties, we can't have you know diverse candidates running these places. Not true. Jennifer Bruner, mm -hmm. also on the Supreme Court, woman. Yeah. Uh, and Barack Obama, who we have discussed, who won Ohio twice. Now the other person who has won statewide, Sherrod Brown. But as I lay out all the people who have won as Democrats, it starts to paint a picture that maybe Sherrod Brown is a little bit more of the anomaly than the rule about what it takes to win yeah. statewide uh, right now in I the like current that. electorate in the state of Ohio. And, and I think it's sad to think that there might even be a bit of a weariness or backlash because they feel like, OK, there are enough of them. And we think that that's only a Republican thing or a conservative thing. But Democrats can be racist, too. They can be sexist, too. And they can feel like we've given enough positions. Well, we haven't in Ohio because we've never had a woman or a black person as a senator. So <laughs> even if you have I a quota agree. mentality, the quota has not been met. I, I understand. But sometimes I feel like there is a backlash against, OK, we've had a black president. We have a, a, a black vice president, black female. Black, so so we don't feel obligated. We do feel comfortable pushing back to that, you know, good old boys network, that that traditional you know, white male image. And as much as we say it should not be about the image, I think that the image does matter, but the ideas matter more. And and like I'm, I'm looking to see what the ideas are and even what outreach is, because I'll be honest, the old line in the black church is that even especially Democratic candidates or office holders, they don't come our way until they're looking for a vote at you know, at vote, you know, at, at, at campaign time. I, I, I had a experience with our Democratic congressman who's running for Senate. And the first time I met with him was after I had publicly called him out at a rally over a shooting that he never addressed publicly of a black man in Niles, Ohio. And that got his attention first angrily and then a meeting. But I did mention to him, no, no joke. I said, Rob Portman somehow made it to my church. And I'm sure there was a purpose for that. But you never did, you know, and and, I, you know, I think black people are tired of that. Uh, we're, 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 we're tired of being pandered to at election time and not talked to and heard from in between. And so how do you feel about being an engaged senator and an engaged representative of the people? between elections. What are your ideas and commitments to making that a reality? Yeah. Well, first, I completely agree. I think there has been that mindset and people rest on their laurels because they just assume that we're going to support. And, and, and more than anything, that also feeds into this idea that, you know, somehow politics is just transactional. And I'm trying to redefine what politics can be, that it is actually advancing all the work that's happening at the community level, not just trying to co-opt it or take advantage of it. And so, you know, after I, I previously ran for office a couple of years ago and started an organization after called Columbus Stand Up that was focused on pandemic relief. So, you know, working with our volunteer base, working with other community organizations, we distributed 30,000 masks throughout Franklin County before there was a federal plan. We started a ride share program, get people to the polls to vote, get to the vaccine appointments, all of that, because I don't want, I don't want to just be, you know, I'm here, I'm there just for election time. I want to be like constantly engaging to both overcome that disillusionment, but to show people this is what service looks like. This should be our expectation of our leadership. 
And, and similarly, you know, as a, as a U.S. Senator, that continues, but you just have more resources to do it. There are actually fewer reasons why you shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing that because you have a budget to be able to perform constituent services. Now that can just look like having an office, expecting and waiting for people to reach out to you and then, you know, very reactive, or it could look like being very proactive, being out there, hosting town halls, letting people know what's going on in Washington with voting rights. What are the barriers? Why we can't get that done? So we're not learning in the media about, oh, now it's the filibuster. It's like, no, you have a senator that is breaking things down and also providing resources and eliminating the barriers to access the re those resources. Another example, small business owners. I've heard from a lot of small business owners around the state, especially black small business owners. It's like these resources, they, they say they're gonna be available, but then there are all these barriers, bureaucracy to be able to get there or there's discrimination when you try to access them. So that's yeah. something that, we as a Senate office should be helping to address and not forcing each individual to have to reinvent the wheel and try to figure it out, just laying out what the process is and making it streamlined. I mean, that's, that's my vision. I, I want to be very engaged. It's just like how we campaign exactly how we should be governing. Gotcha. I, I want to bring this up and I'm trying to bring it up in the right way. Um, but Bring it up wrong. Just bring it up in the wrong <laughs> way. Our, 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 our current president um, said in his speech that we don't need to defund the police, but we need to fund them more and give. Uh, and I think he, the way he said it, I do agree that they need more training. He said more bullets. <laughs> they need more. He talked about more training and better training. Um, I just would like to ask you, what is your opinion on this whole defund the police uh, debate. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really like that framing because that framing to me is giving into this like far right manipulation and talking points. It's like, we need, to, we need to identify what we believe in, why we believe in, why we believe in it and what's the policy to do something about it, right? And so for me, it cannot be denied that we have had incidents of people who are paid to protect the public and ensure public safety that have resulted in the loss of lives. And the people who have done that have in certain instances been at fault. Even a lot of people working within law enforcement agree that that is occurring. And we as a community all over the state don't want that. That is not the goal of what public safety is supposed to be. So we need to make sure that we're enacting policies that prevent that and bring accountability when it occurs. That's why I support ending qualified immunity, for example, which you know, that's been a frustration of mine over the first year or so is that somehow that just, you know, got removed from the conversation that, oh, no, we can't. That's too controversial. We got to get that out of the policing act. It's like, no, this is not controversial. This makes sense. There are laws. The laws apply equally when they are violated to whoever is violating them. Period. Most people I meet, including, again, many law enforcement officers agree with that position. Absolutely. I'm glad you said that uh, about qualified immunity and it being a divisive issue because I've watched legislation get watered down, neutered, sometimes completely thrown off the table over that word. Well, it's too divisive. It's too divisive of an issue. And I'm like, you know, the conditions that created these needs for legislation are divisive. There's never been legislation and especially groundbreaking laws passed policy shifts that weren't divisive. The civil rights movement was divisive. Ending slavery was divisive. And it's almost like we've adopted this idea that it's not worth the fight. 
it's not worth the fight. Take what you can get. I almost feel like I'm watching people who would have agreed to the three-fifths compromise all over mm-hmm. again if that's what it took to keep the country together Absolutely. and to keep each other at the table. And I'm like, so I do believe compromise. I do believe that there are more middle-of-the-road, moderate Americans than want to admit it. I think they're the real silent majority the, or the new silent majority, whatever the old silent majority was of the religious right of the 80s and, the, you know, and all that. But I believe, like, we give up too much. And again, it goes back to that killer instinct, which just leads me to this question, if you want to touch on that. But running for senator, we had all this excitement over Raphael Warnock and the other gentleman from Georgia who won. And, and we felt like the Senate's there. Yeah, Ossoff and, and all of that. But then you have a Democrat who seems to side with Republicans more. So it feels like the Democrats don't have the majority. And it feels like the more that we feel like we're getting to that place, it doesn't make a difference if we get one or two, because there are always going to be a few who will not take that fighting stance or who, who will be on the other side altogether on too many issues like Joe Manchin. And so how do you feel you can make a difference or is it still dependent upon other people winning their races, too, and getting a clear majority? And then does it turn into a filibuster? You're never going to get 60 votes and that. So almost. I think that's, again, a part of the disillusionment of, okay, what difference does it really make if they can still override the majority process? And so I just want you to unpack some of that. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, you've hit on a really critical point in that in the Senate, you have to have coalitions that are passing legislation to actually implement policy, right? And a huge barrier to that has been the the sacrifices, I would say, that we, the Democratic Party, has been willing to make to have a bigger coalition, but it's it's not winning. Okay, yeah, so maybe yeah. we've gotten some people in seats, but if we're defining winning, not as individuals getting to the United States Senate, but resources getting to our community because of legislation right. being passed, we are not winning. So that's where we need to redefine what does winning look like and who are the types of people that we're gonna be electing to make that, to engage in that fight. And there are no guarantees of any change immediately, but I do support getting rid of the filibuster, for example, so that we can have a higher chance of success, but we, we, we in Ohio, all of everybody who's listening, we need to start recognizing that Democrat is not enough. It is mm. not enough. What kind of Democrat are we electing? So take, for example, one of the barriers to passing legislation right now in the United States Senate, Joe Manchin, my opponent in this Democratic primary, your congressman, rants a lot on social media about wanting to stand up to him, but then takes money from his pack. Do we think that a person is taking money from somebody is going to actually be the person that's going to really stand up and engage in that fight? Any fight? No. Lip service, flip-flop, politics, politicians. This is what we have come to deal with. But my message is we can totally redefine that by electing different types of Democrats. Wow. So answer this question, because I'm glad you made that phrase. What type of Democrat are you? Where do you fall on the spectrum? We have this far liberal, you know, far left, you know, uh, the, the squad. We, we got the squad, you know, and I don't know if you're looking to join the squad uh, or if you're one of the more moderate type persons, you know, and I know issues can be all over the place. But if people were to describe you based on the policies you believe in, where would you fall? What type of Democrat uh, would you call yourself and maybe even answer what others might call you? I mean, for sure, based on the labels that get put on people, people would label me a progressive Democrat. But what's interesting about that, and this is where, you know, like I love to go to data, most Democratic primary voters, for example, so let's take a policy that gets labeled as a progressive policy, Medicare for all, universal health care. 
I believe that everybody in our state, in our country, should have access to the health care they need, including mental health care. That is a policy. You can put whatever label on it that you want, but it does get labeled as a progressive policy. And it mm -hmm. turns out that over 80% of people who tend to vote Democratic in our state agree with me. Now, you don't hear the media talk about that. They talk about it as this like crazy idea that somehow we would turn into Canada a place where you don't hear about people that can't afford to go to the doctor at, at all or that don't get access to the medicine they need, right? So we need to get back to reality. And yeah, I mean, I support policies that are gonna ensure everybody gets a chance to live out their potential. Healthcare, making sure people have housing, making sure if you wanna start a business, you have the resources and education to be able to do that. And if you're a worker that you're not gonna get exploited, that you actually will get paid to keep up with the cost of living and entitled to the work that you're doing. You can call that whatever you want. I call that my understanding of what the American dream is supposed to be. And that's what I'm willing to fight for in the United States Senate. Oh, okay. awesome. Awesome. Um, well, I don't know if this is more of a question or just a comment. Um, you know, I watched your debate with Joe and uh, Josh. Josh. I keep on calling him Joe. Just call him Joe. Joe. He's that unimportant. Joe. Yeah, he's, he really ain't that important. But one of the things uh, he kept on calling you angry mm -hmm. and, and you made the statement. Um, I, I want to say it right. You said, how come every time a black woman who is knowledgeable and educated uh, stands up for herself, you want to call them angry. And I, I just commend you for that because I think you are educated. I think you uh, know what you're talking about. And I think it outranks uh, his tantrum and his thoughts on Trump and his, you know, innuendos about Trump. So I just want to commend you on the fact that you have ed educated yourself in these areas and you are doing what needs to be done to get us to where we need to be. Thank you. I yeah, that's slander. That. You know, that's slander to me because, you know, we've always, you know, I've been in that, you know, place. And I think, as we all know, the only lower viewed person in the world than a black man is a black woman. Absolutely. And, you know, I know what I know what it's like to be told in a boardroom, like you're, you're raising your voice. And I'm like, no, I'm just making an emphatic point. You're just used to not hearing someone speak intelligently and emphatically to the point, not becoming quickly subservient. And. That's been thrown at you. That's been thrown at Shirley Chisholm. When you said unbought, I mean, I just put the antennas up, you know, uh, and, and others that that, you know, Kamala Harris and even, you know, Hillary Clinton, even white women, you know, that if you speak up in, in any you become you're shrill, you're angry, you're bitter, you're resentful, you know, and all that stuff. And God knows what other innuendos go behind those types of things, the words that get said. And and I appreciate that. That's a fight that even males who are black don't have to deal with so much. But I appreciate the fact that you deal with that so graciously. So, you know, speaking of your opponent on the Republican side, uh, I mean, he's really <laughs> trollish. He's really trollish in his, uh, you know, it's obvious that he's like, you know, the, the Tucker Carlson, let's just push the envelope, say crazy things. I mean, how do you run against a person? Like you said, it's a game it's almost like a game of one-upmanship, a, a game of who can just get any attention, no matter whether it's true, false, or whatever. Do you find it difficult? Like I watch Hillary struggle against Trump. Like, how do you debate a person who is not even talking about real things? Right. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you're not even actually talking about real things. You're just throwing these crazy darts out there to throw red meat mm -hmm. and 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 even try to get you off track of thinking. How did, how is it like? He to, said to the insurrection isn't the right word. I, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't yeah. know. 
It was we, a carnival. Yeah, you just, yeah, we had to, you just call it out directly. And I mean, I, you know, we did, so we debated twice, Josh Mandel and I, once in Columbus, once in Cleveland. And, you know, especially I would say uh, in, in the first one, it's like calling this stuff out directly. It's like, they're, they're contradictory. There are no ideas here. You say you're for law enforcement, but then you're going to make fun of an event that resulted in the loss of lives of law enforcement, January 6th, and try to totally write that off. You say that you're for freedom, but then you won't support the ability for people to be able to make their own decisions. You say that you're going to Arizona, like we said in the second debate, and investigating alleged voter fraud. It's like, who in Ohio asked you to do that? Nobody, right? right? It's like, let's just take everything that they are saying, unpack how it is ridiculous, and then we've got to pivot to, and what are our ideas, and expose them. I mean, he said in both debates, oh, I'm really concerned about veterans who are homeless. The Democrats have created this situation. Democrats are, or sorry, veterans who are living under bridges and homeless. It's like, oh, really? Okay, well, you care so much about that. You've been in politics for 20 years. What have you done about it? Name one housing right. policy. I don't see any on your website that's going to improve the lives of any veteran or anybody else who's struggling to find housing. And they have nothing to say. Now, the danger for us in this election is that they would have an opponent who is like them, it is a game for career politician, been around forever, nothing getting done, nothing changing, right? That's who they're used to running against. And that's what they're going to try to throw those talking points at and just say, oh, you're just, you're just part of the problem. You're making this money. You take all this money to, we're all the same. But what they have no idea what to do with is somebody who is a very strong contrast to what they're saying, not a career politician. I'm not like you. You can throw, you, they have to go to the gutter with all this racist, sexist vitriol and they have no, nothing else to show for it. And I think the majority of people in Ohio are over it, but we have to present an alternative that people really can buy into, not just, not just another politician. Wow, wow. I, I, yeah, I, I definitely appreciate the answer. You know, I see a lot of statistics about, like you mentioned, the 80% of the Democrats in particular agree with Medicare for all and you know, universal health care. And then we'll see statistics that cross party lines that seem to support certain policies that might be promoted more so by Democrats, like the Build Back Better Act or, or what have you, you know. But it feels like when push comes to shove, people jump back to their teams Absolutely. when it comes time to vote and not their principles. Mm-hmm. And like politics feels more like 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 a team. Like, I mean, you know, you know how we get when we're watching football and we're tweeting back and forth to each other and we don't even care about who's really better. Right, like, right. like the Steelers really could be the worst team this year and the Browns could be better, but I'm not going to tell you right. that you guys are better. <laughs> I'm not giving Baker Mayfield any, Faker Mayfield, excuse me, <laughs> any clout. But I mean, do you feel like there's a barrier of that sort of that tribalism that actually gets in the way of principles claim they stand for? And by the way, we've seen that some of the people who vote for policies are actually voting against their own interests. Like some of these things in, in Appalachia and in in impoverished counties and places like Alabama and Mississippi and 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 you know other areas in the South and in the West, they're voting against their own interests, but they're voting with their team. They're mm-hmm. voting with their tribe. So how do we overcome tribalism like that? And is or is it possible? Or do we have to just try to build a bigger tribe than the other side? <laughs> Great question. I mean in the short term, we need to build a better, a bigger tribe on the other side, to be, to be frank, because, you know, some of that is persuasion. Persuasion takes time. And I do think that the numbers are there for us to just run up as many people who are not, you know, completely 
corrupted, I would say, by a lot of the views that, that Trump puts out there and a lot of the people who are running on the Republican side of this race uh, who do believe in just trying to get those policies in that are going to make life a little bit easier for most people, find those people everywhere. That's our challenge in this 2022 election. But moving forward, I mean, absolutely. I, I think there's a lot of room to convert people to the ideas. So you know, I gave the stat around Democratic primary voters, but I talked to a lot of people who identify as conservative that are also like, yeah, it's crazy that big pharma, big insurance just gets to dictate all the costs of things. This doesn't make any sense. I don't like the fact that, you know, we have monopolies that are dominating every sector of the economy and somehow are going to tell us that we just have to accept this raid, this wage and deal with it. Kroger, let's throw out. I'm going to start naming some names. Let's throw these names out. It's like, there are a lot of people that are fed up with the economic status quo. That is one of the things that the Republican Party is exploiting. And we have, a, I believe, a majority of people in our state that if presented with the right alternative would buy into a different vision. A lot of people in Ohio identify as independents, don't like either party. So that's a huge opportunity. That's one of the reasons why we've been considered a bellwether, but it's just most of those independents have been going more to the right than ever voting for a Democrat in, in recent wow. history right now. Wow. Well, we only got we got a few minutes left and I want to give a chance for the audience. If you guys have any questions for Morgan right now, please post them right now. Yes. Don't don't, don't don't take your time. Post them right now. Uh, just one quick question. And I don't know how you feel about this. Just want to ask you about immigrant reform. And I know I know that's uh, something that's uh, near and dear to my heart. Uh, what's going on with, with, with immigration reform and uh, many who are not being allowed over and uh, and and be, matter of fact, being kicked back. So, what, what is your take on immigrant reform? Yeah, well, you know, my mom actually immigrated to Ohio from Trinidad. I can't remember if I mentioned that in the intro. And so, you know, having one parent who is an immigrant, I definitely want us to continue to be a place that is welcoming to immigrant immigrants and all immigrants, and we're not prioritizing certain countries over others um, based on people's place of origin. And in order to do that, I mean, we have to have comprehensive immigration reform and ensure that we have pathways to citizenship so that we can continue to be a place that is welcoming to those that, you know, aren't able to access opportunity in other, in the places where they're coming from. But, you know, I will say, and this comes up a lot in talking to people, you know, I don't, I don't think that needs to be at all to the detriment of making sure that we have opportunities for people who are already here. And sometimes, especially in the media, you know, like to present it as this either or and try to yeah, you know, yeah. turn us against each other. And it's it's all pretend. I mean, it really does not have to be like that. We have had periods in history where we had a better management of these things. And we need to get past that media narrative and, and make sure that people understand, you know, what's really going on. So you're not trying to build the wall. <laughs> no, the wall is a waste so of my money. My 12 year old has a bucket full of Legos. My <laughs> <laughs> 12 year old's got a lot of Legos that we're not using right now. Yeah, yeah. So I was no, going to contribute those. I was going to contribute those. I have a question. It's religiously incorrect. We haven't talked a lot about religion, but as I mentioned earlier, politicians are known for stopping by, and you're welcome. By the way, I think you're going to come by. You're okay. going to come by okay. and, and see us, and you're welcome to come by. You can slide by Pastor Jess because we get done before him. Uh, we just have different staggered times. But uh, the black church has always been the center of connection for politicians, policymakers, kind of like the, the barometers of the black community in a lot of ways. Now, one thing we've wrestled with in this new generation is that we are not necessarily the, 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 the singular voice anymore for the black community. I mean, that idea of one black leader. And honestly, I think we've been chasing it since Dr. King, like trying to make somebody the next 
Dr. King or black leader, and even in every city, even in every mm-hmm. community. You go to this big church, he's the guy, he's the mover shaker, you know, to a degree that might still exist, but there is a lot more diversity and thought openly nowadays. There hasn't been anything to replace the black, you know, church as a, as that place, but that religious Christian values, whatever you want to call it, still dictates a lot of people's thoughts. And Mm -hmm. here is the rub that's religiously incorrect. A lot of black Christians and black people in general who follow any semblance of Christian or conservative values socially balk at the LGBTQ uh, platform that feels aggressively pushed by the Democratic Party and feel a little embittered that they feel like the black agenda has been displaced by gains. And we know it doesn't have to be either or. We know it shouldn't be a competition, but that doesn't track necessarily. They see legislation. Uh, they see what happened under the Obama administration. And that was a part of what Jeff said of not getting what we want. We saw other people seemingly get what they want, you know, as if we have no civil rights laws on the books, you know, at all, you know, and I maybe distance creates that issue where ours, our laws are 50 years old yeah. and, and theirs are five years old. But how do you address that how do you connect with people? I don't know if you are a person of, of, of faith and, and very strong conviction, but I've run into a lot of people who are like, that's a step too far. I, I am not a hater. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a hateful person. I actually believe in rights. I actually want people to have civil rights, but it feels like it's become too much of a focus. It feels like it's begun too much of a go-to. And now we're asked to jump on board with a team that we don't agree with all that platform. And that part of the platform just seems to get all the attention. Mm-hmm. How do you speak to that? Because as pastors, we're we're betwixt and in between. A lot Absolutely. of a yeah. lot of our members have gone straying, and like I said, they would have strayed even more if there wasn't so much hatefulness on the other side. And that's a big part of it. A big, that is a part. big part of it. I'm so glad you asked. And, and, and well, so, how do yeah. you address that? Well, and, and so follow up question because I think you've identified two reasons perhaps for the strain. So, do you think it's more discomfort with? Uh, that community or that that community feeling like that community has been prioritized over the black community? I think it's number one, personal conviction, religious conviction. It is still a value. I'm watching people who reject Christianity actually hold tighter to anti LGBTQ views. Mm -hmm. My woke brothers, my, you know, my whole teps we joke about, they're like really pushing. There's a gay agenda. Why every time you show up, turn on the TV, you know, they're pushing it on our kids. And then you got church mama. You got that older brother who grew up in a different era. And you got younger people who are like, no, I really am considering myself an ally. Sometimes I'm frustrated. I'm not being told I'm an ally enough. Like you're like, it's never enough. But I think it starts with conviction. But mm-hmm. then it also starts with what feels like displacement. Uh-huh. And, and yeah. so how do you let's start with the religious conviction. Right. You know, how about that? Because honestly, they feel like and I just want to throw this out there. The Republicans are catering to their side's religious convictions. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And then you can be the biggest sinner in the world, but you're going to jump in there and say, you know, Jesus, Jesus. But we feel like the Democrats are being said, nah, you got to come over here with us. Mm-hmm. So, so start with the religious part. How do we interact and engage with people who vehemently disagree because of their personal convictions mm-hmm. with the, the, the stance. Yeah. Well, I start, I mean, and, you know, and I was 
it's funny the meme that y'all had earlier. I was raised in the Catholic Church and uh, can attest, you know, you know, much more efficient services. Um, but no, I mean, I start with empathy with all of this, and and I do want people to feel that they have the ability to have their own personal opinions and 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 to be open with me about what they are just you know uncomfortable about. And I certainly have had those interactions with people in our community um, about this topic. But you know, my response is usually okay, it's okay to feel uncomfortable about that, but we also need to recognize that if we start creating gateways to allow discrimination on that front, it is a slippery slope to then start peeling back all sorts of rights and protections for everyone, including us, right? Uh, as a black community, even you know, if you don't identify as LGBTQ plus or whatever, this, this stuff is all connected. And so you know, I think we are best served by, hey, we let people be themselves, freedom, and we need to focus on the things that do unite us. But I don't think that it's worth spending a lot of energy trying to persuade people around their convictions. I mean, convictions are what they are, but honoring that, hearing that, but then trying to also move towards, well, what are the things that unite us? And I mean, that has been the instruction of the faith that I've experienced is Hmm. we're about service. We are about community building and not about ostracizing people, accepting people and taking them for who they are and where they're at. That's my, that's my faith. So, I mean, that's, that's how I would talk about the first, the first bucket that okay. you address. Uh, now the second one, I think people have some of this either or mentality because we haven't seen enough gains for our community and feeling like the scarcity. Have, yeah. The scare. And, and, the, and that is real. <laughs> We haven't yeah. seen enough gains for our community, right? And so mm-hmm. I mean, that's part of the reason why I do support and have talked pretty openly about having conversations around things like systemic reparations. I mean, we need to be talking about the fact that we have a large wealth gap, that there have been federal policies that have discriminated against the Black community specifically. And when there's a harm, then we need to right that harm. And then we need to have broad conversations about what that might look like. And, and we can have a broad discussion about that, right? But I don't, I don't disagree with the analysis that we haven't seen enough gains. The data bears that out. We have a huge wealth gap. That is just fact. Um, that if you look around most neighborhoods that are considered historically black neighborhoods in our state, if they have not already been completely gentrified, they are not necessarily in a great place, <laughs> right? Mm. So that's real that it is harder in a lot of cases to access the capital to be able to start businesses and grow businesses and compete. Now, some of those reasons relate to universal reasons around failed economic policy at the federal level, but trends are what they are and we need to be honest about that. So uh, I, I see those as two very different things, different, different responses on both of those, but in the latter mm-hmm. one that I just talked about, that's a challenge for us though, to be better organized, to hold people accountable that we're electing and to make sure that things are implemented. And if they aren't, then we need to be honest about that and maybe start to take different, different actions from electoral perspective about how we're voting. Okay. I'm telling it. Anything else you want to share with us? Jeff? It was just phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, Big Mike's going to pop in with a, a comment. Um, actually, I have two questions for you, Morgan. Um, first, where can I get one of those hoodies? I like that. The Morgan like the So I don't know if y'all are aware of Morganize Against the World. So that's a Cincinnati brand that uh, we okay. did a collaboration with Floyd from Ohio. He's on Instagram. And so these are available on our website, morganharper.org, and all other information about the campaign also available there. 
And so, yeah, check them out. They, we have other merch that's on there as well. But uh, yeah, Morganize. Cool, cool, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm they're very, they're very good hoodies. So, All okay, right, cool. Can't confirm. Uh, next question. Um, there's a lot of memes, a lot of opinions going on about the gas prices. Mm-hmm. Break down what's really going on with the gas prices, so we, so people really know what's going on. So all, the, all the misinformation. It's Obama's Obama. fault. It's Obama's fault. <laughs> uh, that's, the, that's the issue. People love to blame Obama for it. So first, yes. okay, here's a point that I want to make sure everybody realizes. The reason why we continue to find ourselves so dependent on gas in the first place is because fossil fuel companies in the '70s knew that climate crisis was coming, knew that we should be moving to renewable energy. And instead of deciding to invest in that and do something about it, they decided that they were going to start a misinformation campaign that then was propelled by the Republican Party trying to make people think that climate change isn't real, which we are still dealing with, okay? And bribing politicians to not implement more effective clean energy policy that would have put us in a better position as a country and have more diversity of renewable energy sources. So that's the first thing. We could be in a stronger position overall, both addressing the climate crisis and also investing in renewable energy if we had started to do what we could have been doing since the 1970s, but fossil fuel companies didn't want us to do. So now where do we find ourselves? Well, we find ourselves with fossil fuel companies like ExxonMobil that have all of the power over our oil, our energy supply. They are a monopoly. They are a monopoly because they bribe politicians to be able to preserve their market power. And now they are also driving up the prices of supply Why? Because when you're a monopoly, you can do whatever you want without any repercussions because our government hasn't stepped in and actually checked their power and held them accountable. So in my view, you want communism. That's what you're saying. No, no. I want (laughs) to I want to I want a free market that's actually free. We don't live in a free market right now. We live in a monopolistic market that is dominated by very large corporations in every sector that make it virtually impossible for any small or medium sized business to compete. That is not a free market. And especially when it comes to things as crucial as gas, being able to fill up your tank, all of that, it is criminal that we have allowed these companies to just get away with controlling our lives in this way. So there's the ability for the federal government to check that. It needs to be happening across all sectors, but that is, that is what's going on with the gas prices. And that's been going on for some time, just the vulnerable position we're in. And there are things that could be done at the federal level to stop it. I, I appreciate that thorough answer. And uh, I think we have short memories that, you know, gas prices have been high before and fluctuated and will continue to uh, arise. Uh, as we leave, I just want to ask one general question. What is your plan to engage the religious community and the faith community and churches, both as a candidate and uh, if it comes to this as a senator, as a sitting senator? If- uh when I'm not I'm supposed to be impartial, kind of, sort of. Oh, uh, okay. But, uh, but I mean, so so what's your plan as a as a senator, but even as a candidate to engage the religious community and particularly the black religious community, and, and maybe tell us a little bit about what you have done. Uh, you can name drop if you want. Nothing wrong with that. Name drop if there are people that you're in close affiliation with, or because everybody else does it. You know, I always oh, really? as soon as oh, some okay. politician comes to our church, you know, our picture ends up on Instagram and that they were at a black church this week. That's so, funny. you know, know how that goes. Like so I'm, yeah. I'm cool with it. I'm all right. So, okay. so well, what's your plan? Yeah, I mean, it, it looks pretty similarly to, to just regular life. I mean, being able to go to churches, connect with leaders, community leaders, including the faith community. I've been going to a lot of churches over the last few years, just building those relationships, mostly before launching this campaign, I'll be honest with you, in Columbus. 
not so much statewide, but you know, had the opportunity up in your area to go to Pastor Simon's church and, and walk in one of the, the Stop the Violence marches. So that was great. We was able to meet a lot of people that way. And and like I said, I mean, to me, there really shouldn't feel like there's a lot of difference between when someone's campaigning and once they've won and are governing. Mm-hmm. The relationship building should continue. The presence should continue. And I really enjoy it because, I mean, I've found that each each pastor has a really different perspective and style and then the congregations are different. And so being able to continue to, to move around and engage and visit different congregations, I think is necessary to then know where, where the people are at because the pastors are, I mean, you all know better than I do, of course, but you know, you're reflecting the, the streets. I mean, where, where the people are. And, you know, for example, this morning I was at a church and here in Columbus, Pastor Troy, New Salem. I don't know if you've ever heard of that one. And um, oh yeah, very well. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. His his family was uh, here in Warren for years. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we, we know New Salem really well. Perfect. And uh, yeah, I mean, Pastor Troy's sermon was all about just like when I was at Pastor Simon's church, violence, and I mean the amount of young lives being lost in the Linden area where his church is and really a, a call to action, that we've got to do something. We can't live like this. I mean, that, that to me was affirmation that what I'm feeling is the priority from a political perspective aligns with what lots of people are feeling because I know that he's where his community is at and he's reflecting the pulse of the streets. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, don't know, I don't know any other way, but continue to stay very much connected to folks who are on the ground at the community level and I, I think part of the reason why we've seen Washington get so disconnected is folks get elected and then they end up spending more time there than really back back home. And then wow. you lose touch. So we got to keep the, the grassroots perspective all throughout. I appreciate it. Uh, Very much. Yeah. Thank you. Done a phenomenal job. We are so thankful and grateful and we are definitely going to keep our eye on you. Continue to watch uh, what's going on with you. Uh, and, you know, hopefully, like we said, Come on through. Come on through uh, Warren, Ohio. Sure. Stop by both of our churches and, and we'll make sure we. we get nobody to... else's. Don't go to anybody no, else's. Nobody church. else. Nobody, 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 nobody else matters. Around. Nobody. Yeah. Okay. It's not a competition. <laughs> people around here. <laughs> no, I'm looking forward to it, really. So look no, forward to we, seeing you. We all love it. Everybody give it up for Morgan Harper, Thank candidate you. for U.S. Senate Democrat representing the state of Ohio. She wants to be your senator. Okay. There are only two senators. In the state of Ohio, there are only two senators from every state. And so you're talking about a very powerful position. There's only 50 senators. I mean, excuse me, 100 senators in the entire country. So you're talking about a person who can make some moves. Uh, Anything you want to say, Morgan? Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Last thing. May 3rd is the election day. So we have about 50 days to go. If anyone also wants to volunteer and be part of the campaign, sign up, morganharper.org. We need you. We're building a movement all over the state. And there are a lot of different ways to plug in. So if you have any time or bandwidth or interest over the next 50 days, we're ready to make history. So we want anybody to be a part of that. Love it. Love it. You're more than welcome to advertise on the podcast. Uh, you know, oh, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll throw it out there. You, you can use Black this footage. Media. We don't have any rights to anything. <laughs> <Okay>. You know, <laughs> we don't have any rights to anything. But uh, we're really grateful. Everybody give it up for Morgan. You know what I love? Uh, you can say her name both ways and it makes sense. Morgan Harper, Harper Morgan. I don't know which one's the cooler name. Morgan Harper. You can run next time as Harper Morgan and see yeah. if you do. You know. I get called no, Harper it, a lot. I'm sure. I'm sure. No, it, it's great, intelligent, passionate. You have good ideas. And I would say that to anybody, regardless of party or, you know, affiliation, you have good ideas, direct answers. Keep that track going. 
Uh, I'll keep trolling Mandel on Twitter. Uh, maybe we'll get him on here. See if we could beat up on him a little oh, bit. We love to. That, that, that would be, be so much fun. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. But we'd probably get, you know, probably get arrested. We get arrested on the way we out. Should of host the a debate. Host a debate. Yeah, it, it'd be great. You know, that'd be so. Which, by the way, so are are the other candidates really engaging in the debates, or is it just you and Josh at this point? So I've been asking that Tim Ryan debate me since October, shortly after I launched the campaign. He has not taken me up on that, even though we've had a couple other local TV stations that were willing to host one and candidate forums that were available. So that's disappointing. That That's an individualistic mindset. That's not about making sure that as many people are engaging the political process as possible. So that's a problem for me. Uh, we Let's are going to, to have, yeah, we are going to have the one confirmed, I believe, at the end of the month, March 28th at Central State. And tickets okay. are available for that. So the Ohio Debate Commission is okay. hosting that. People can come in person, but it also will be uh, shown on Spectrum Spectrum News. So he will. He has agreed to that debate he on has March twenty eighth. One. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, we'll be looking for that. Definitely. We'll be looking wait. for that. Well, thank you guys all so very much. I want to shout out our last sponsor, which still comes from the Phillips Care family of businesses because they love us so much. But Brother Mike uh, runs Phillips Care Fitness. Uh, they are the new owners of High Street Fitness, Phillips Care Training, excuse me, the new uh, owners of High Street Fitness and Cortland on High Street. Check them out. Mike Phillips, he was, he's going to murder you, <laughs> you get but, your body but you're right. going to be fit. Yes, sir. So go ahead and get started on your summer body. We tried to get you ready <laughs> for Christmas and the holidays and the new year. Didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> so you have another go round, you know, maybe after you get done shoving out all that Easter candy, you can get started on your summer bodies. Check out High Street Fitness, Phillips Care Training. They're online. He works with kids. He got his little boy be doing like one-handed push-ups. Maybe like you can Rocky. really get into that skinny suit that you want to wear listen, for, I, <laughs> for Easter. That you're going to look awkward. Yeah, listen. Yeah, get right before you try to wear that Easter dress, <laughs> Easter suit. Make sure you get the body right and tight. But thank you to all of our sponsors. Thank you to Big Mike. And thank you, Morgan, for thank being with so us much. and your team for making yes, sure we made yes. this connection. Shout out to Allison and Nancy and everybody else on your team. And if you're running for office and you want to come and make your platform known, come on, let us beat up on you. We'd be happy to ask <laughs> you questions and we won't accept anything less than the direct answer. So check us out every Sunday night, Sunday night service, 8 p.m. Religiously Incorrect. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe. Until next time, God be with you. Peace out.